And uh, this is the word of the Lord. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, so rich, so uh, full of truth, so, so full of challenge for us. And yet, even as you challenge us, you give us uh, the grace that uh, we need to meet that challenge. And um, so it is with hope in your promises that we turn to your word now that you would give us uh, both repentance of our sin and also faith in uh, the, the grace that's ours in the Lord Jesus. We ask that you'd send your spirit to us to, to instruct each one of our hearts uh, in the way of truth, um, that you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And uh, Lord, we love you, and it is with that love that we devote our hearts now to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, 12 years ago, when Shannon and I, my wife Shannon and I got married, uh, we had uh, a rehearsal before our wedding. And at the rehearsal, before the, or after the rehearsal, we had a you know, rehearsal dinner at a restaurant, a local restaurant, and where all of our wedding party was there. We had family there. And uh, during the rehearsal, you know, we went around and we talked about the the wedding party and each of the bridesmaids and groomsmen, why they were important in our life. And then after that, uh, all, some of the wedding party actually got up and they said some things about us. And uh, one of the things that uh, one of my groomsmen said, he had, uh, we had been housemates in college, and he'd broken his leg. And when he had broken his leg, you know, Shannon had, I think, brought him a Subway sandwich or something and, you know, a drink. And he brought, you know, got a bendy straw so that, you know, with his broken leg, he could still drink the drink. And he was telling this story about the bendy straw. And he said, you know, so Shannon, uh, Nate, you're just so blessed that you're marrying Shannon. She's such a servant. You're just such a servant. And now, for most of us, when, if you've grown up in the church, you hear something like that, you're just a servant. And we say, oh, that's, like, that's a kind thing to say. But actually, at the wedding party, there's some people, and this is not, I don't blame them for this, who didn't grow up in the church and hadn't heard that kind of lingo, and they heard, they saw, just a servant? That guy just called Shannon a servant. What is it? What kind of, what are you talking about? That's not kind. This is demeaning. You're putting her down. And it was striking uh, in just that little scene uh, that how something that we as Christians can see is so honoring is uh, viewed by the world as a disrespectful slight. How could you say that? Especially about a woman calling her a servant. And yet here is the Apostle Paul in this passage um, who uh, is the great apostle. He wrote you know, at least 13 books of the New Testament. Yeah, he was uh, the, the uh, apostle uh, to the Gentiles. He planted numerous churches around the Mediterranean over the course of his life. He's someone that as Christians, we, we, if you love the Bible at all, you, you esteem Paul very highly. And yet, uh, this is what he says about himself in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. 
He says the way that he sees himself primarily is as a servant of Christ. That's what he glories in. That's what he loves. That, that's, that, that's the title that he takes for himself is he's a servant. And so here, you know, our world that hears that word servant, they say, how, you know, how demeaning that you're going to live your life for another person. You're going to give your life. You know, that we should be living for ourselves. We should be following our passions and fulfilling our dreams. And to be a servant what an unfulfilling life. And according to Paul, though, the Bible, and, and according to the rest of the Bible, which always turns the world up on, it, on its head, the Bible always turns the world upside down, says that the good life, you want a good life? You want a fulfilling life, an abundant life? It is a life of being a servant. Serving God and serving others. That's what the Bible says. It's completely radical. It's something that our, our world has never thought of. It is strange to our world, but this is here. Uh, this is what Psalm 84, that great uh, psalm. You've maybe heard this before. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. Hear what the psalmist says. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, servant in the house of God, you know, with all kinds of duties and responsibilities and things that I have to do. And as long as I can be with the Lord and be in his house, give me the duties. Bring them on. I want them. Because that's a good life to serve alongside the Lord and to serve him. It's even better than, you know, it talks about dwelling in the tents of wickedness, having all the freedom in my life that I can do whatever I want. I'd rather have the duties and responsibilities. And to be with the Lord, there's more joy than in all the freedom and doing whatever I want. Psalm 35, similar. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. The Lord delights in his servants and their well-being. And so therefore, God is pleased that his work and his power goes out in the world um, through uh, those who have given themselves to his service, who have identified themselves as servants of the Lord. So it's a question for us. Is that how we identify? Is that how you see your life? That's what my life is about. Is I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of other people. I'm a servant of my family. I'm a servant of my neighbors. I'm a servant of the, of the people in my church and this congregation. That everywhere I'm going, I'm loving my neighbor, loving the Lord my God and loving my neighbors myself makes me into a servant for them. And that that is a good life. So what does it look like to be in the Lord's service? Well, this morning I want to highlight five qualities of servanthood in God's kingdom from this passage. And, you know, I should say that over the next month, we're going to be looking at chapters 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians, and, uh, and then we're going to be starting on the, uh, on the book of Ruth in, uh, in October. And, um, but in, over these two chapters of this next month, we're going to hear a lot about the Apostle Paul and his ministry, and uh, you know, what his goals were, how he went about his ministry. And you might say, you know, the Apostle Paul, isn't he kind of unique, like he wrote a lot of the Bible, and he was this apostle of the Lord Jesus who went out and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, am, am I really, I mean, are these, do these things really apply to me that he's talking about himself? But actually, when you get to the end of chapter 4, the end of this whole section where he's talking about his ministry and being a servant of the Lord and what it's like, this is what, it, this is what his concluding line is. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. He says to the church in Corinth, he says to all Christians, that uh, he is setting his life before us, uh, his life as a servant before us as a model for us to imitate. 
okay? So we're going to study his life and uh, see what it has to say to us, okay? So five, thi- five qualities about servanthood we see in this passage. First is this. Servants do the task that has been entrusted to them. Faithful servants do a task that has been entrusted to them, right? And you see, that's how Paul talks in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He had a task that was assigned to him, and he recognized that task. It was my job to fulfill the, fulfill the duty, give the thing that, that God's given to me. And what Paul's saying, what he means by that is that Paul had... Um, Paul and Apollos were both pastors in the Corinthian church. Paul was a pastor for a year and a half there. And then Apollos took over sometime later. And so Paul taught for a while. And then uh, Apollos taught for a while. And, um, and uh, there were different people in the church. that Some people said, you know, I liked Paul. When Paul was our pastor, I preferred maybe his sermons or something like that, or I, his way of teaching. And some said, no, I liked things better when Paul, Apollos was around. So there's division. And what he's saying is, listen, we're just servants. We're servants of Jesus who are pointing you to the Lord Jesus, and uh, we're not the masters. Doing God's work looks like identifying the task that has been assigned or entrusted to me and taking responsibility for that task. Doing God's work means identifying the task that has been assigned to me and taking responsibility for it. I think Probably some of us, even as I say that, take responsibility for a task. You're like, oh man, commitment. Uh, People are depending on me. You want to run away from that. But let me just tell you, that's what God has for us. That's what God has for being his servants, is to owning things. And of course, there's a great uh, parable that our Lord gives, uh, the parable of the talents. Which, if you know that story, it's about... uh, uh, parable where he tells about a, uh, a master who goes on a journey and while he's gone he entrusts his property to uh, these servants and he says okay well I'm gone here you are you're gonna have five talents you're gonna have two talents you're gonna have one talent I'm entrusting you with these things now while I'm gone do something with them be responsible with them and uh, and of course two of them take the property invest and they uh, make more money for their, uh, for their master, and one of them takes the talent that was entrusted in his money and buries it in the ground. He doesn't take responsibility of it out of fear. It is fear that causes him to not take responsibility. And, uh, but what we need to understand is that as Christians, if you are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is entrusting you with part of his mission. There is some part of it that he's entrusting it with. And so there's first identifying what it is and then taking responsibility of it. And, uh, you know, I think this is an important thing for us because often in church culture, when we think of serving, serving the Lord being a servant, we often think in terms of being a volunteer, Right? And I think there's some place for that, right? I mean, you guys all do lots of things that you don't get paid for in the church, and I think that's good to be a volunteer. But one of the things that when we think in terms of being a volunteer, being a volunteer is something that I stay in control of, right? It's like, you know, I'm a good-hearted person. I'm going to help I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to volunteer in these ways. And that is good-hearted. That is, you know... That is appreciative. But whenever we're a volunteer, we remain in control of what we're doing. Being a servant says, Jesus, my Lord, has entrusted me with a task. And I need to take responsibility and see that it's completed and see that it's done well and own it. 
And uh, this is what he's, this is the nature of what servants are, and this is how Paul viewed his task, is that God had given him things that he was going to fulfill. And so part of the, one of the challenges for us as a church is do we view what's happening here that way? Are we a group of servants who've come together to serve one another, to serve the Lord, to serve our neighbors, and to find a task that I'm going to own? I'm gonna, God has entrusted me this, and I'm going to serve him with this and give it to him and offer it back to him in love. And that is going to be my delight, that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be the you know, those guy standing at the door. That's my job. I would own that just in delight to be serving alongside of him and to be one of his servants. And I just want you to imagine, what happens when a congregation, look at us, all these people, full of people who say, I want to own a portion of this ministry. I want to be depended on. I want to be looked to. I want the Lord to entrust me with a bit. And, and through grace... Do that mission faithfully, okay? So first, servants do the task that has been entrusted to them. But second, um, you know, servants are not simply task-oriented kind of people. They're not just doing, doing, doing. And the second thing that we see in this passage is that servants of Christ are focused on the gospel. The focus of their, their life and ministry is on the gospel, that they have a special emphasis and priority to the centrality of the gospel as we serve the Lord. You see this, verse 6. Paul says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And at the end, he even says in verse 9, you are God's field. Now, what's he talking about? All these images of, you know, planting and watering and fields. And, uh, you know, if you're familiar with Jesus teaching it all, you'll recognize these were favorite images of our Lord in his teaching. And especially he he tells a parable of the the sower, which is about, he's talking to his disciples, you're going to go out and you're going to have this seed and you're going to spread this seed around. And it's going to, you know, some's going to fall on rocky ground, some's going to fall on good ground, and there's going to be birds that are going to take the seeds. And then Jesus says, what's the seed? The seed is his word. It is the gospel that's going out. And there's this focus on their servanthood of... um, the priority of the gospel. And um, even in this passage, uh, Paul was uh, a church planter um, who first brought the gospel to the Corinthians. And uh, then Apollos came along and he watered the gospel, right? Uh, He's focused on on the seed, the seed growing. Both of them, their ministries are focused on the word of God. They understood that in the gospel alone is life and hope. It's because the gospel is, is the oracle. You know, what have we been entrusted with? We've been entrusted with this oracle, this promise of this announcement that God has not forsaken this world. He hasn't just left us in darkness, but he's actually come and he's walked among us. He became a man and dwelt among us. And he's um, taught us. And, and now he's died for our sins. He's washed our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. This is the center of what it means to be human. And we have this message with us. And so whatever we're doing is going to be focused on the centrality of the gospel. And so what that means, uh, first of all, is that servants, if we're serving the Lord, there's a certain devotion to the gospel that I see its role in my own life. And, uh, you know, my own uh, spiritual care Resting in the promises of God, hearing, uh, reading God's word, uh, being with God's people. There, there, I, need, I need God's promises. I need God's truth. And yet also, though, a servant isn't just going to find the gospel is, is um, foundational for their own life, but a servant 
is going to see that the gospel shapes all of their ministries, no matter what they're doing. So that even if you're not doing like a specifically teaching ministry, the gospel is still shaping what you're doing. So if you're caring for the poor, and you say, you know, I'm caring for the poor and people have needs, and our, you know, our church is going to uh, care for people who have need, or maybe I'm serving out in the community uh, with people who are lower income, I realize that what people need is not just financial assistance. They do need that. They, they not only need friendships and people to walk with them, but they need the gospel is the thing that makes us whole. It's the thing that heals us. And so the gospel actually bleeds into every area of what we're doing in our servanthood, and we're constantly keeping it before our eyes. So there's this priority to the centrality of the gospel. And what that means then, this is the third thing that we learn about servants in this passage, not just that they take responsibility, they they are trusted with a task, and they're focused on the gospel, the gospel um, being a part of everything that they do. But third, servants honor their masters. Servants are devoted to honoring their masters. And uh, actually, uh, some of you know Johnny Poole. Johnny Poole's a, a... the director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, which is a ministry in a number of the schools in Whatcom County. I think it's probably expanding out of Whatcom County. And uh, this passage, if, if you know Johnny, the Lord's done a tremendous amount of work through him over the last five years. And I don't know how many times he's quoted to me these verses from 1 Corinthians. And uh, as he looks at you know, the task that's been entrusted to him. And he's always telling me, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So you see, what, uh, you see what Paul's doing when he's talking about his ministry. And he's done quite a lot, right? He's written these letters. He's planted these churches. He's introduced countless people to the Lord, and yet he says it was God's doing. It was his doing. It was the master's doing. I was just doing the task. I was just doing my duties. I am nothing in it. And, you know, it's funny. For most of us in our culture, we hear a statement like that, Paul talking about, I was nothing. It had nothing to do with me. You know, I wasn't involved in it. And, you know, we kind of have one of two responses to that. We either think, okay, Paul's just kind of being overly pious and saying, oh, you know, just being modest. Oh, I didn't have anything to do with that. And uh, we don't really take that seriously, that he really believes that. Or we say, Paul, you're not nothing. You are, you are good. You are, you know, don't say that about yourself, Paul, that you're nothing and that the Lord is everything. And yet, but what we have to realize is that this statement, when Paul says, I just was doing my duty, And it was the Lord who gave the increase. It was the Lord who did the work. He made things happen. He made life come. Is that that is tremendously freeing when we serve the Lord. It is freeing to us. When you're a servant of the Lord and you know it's God who's doing the work, then it frees you to just show up and do your duty and to be faithful to the Lord. And uh, Because you imagine, you know, I just imagine if I had to come here every Sunday and I had to be someone, right? I had to be someone as I, as I taught every morning. That would just be devastating. You know, because there's some things you can do. You can, oh, you can maybe uh, keep people's attention, um, try to say something that's interesting. But to have you turn, from the deni- you know, turn away from the denial that we have in our hearts, of the darkness that's in our hearts, turn away from that denial and... and and confess your sin honestly to the Lord and embrace his promises. And now to have his joy actually come into your life and it spills over in love, I can't do that.
I can't do that in your heart. I don't have that kind of power. And so the task is to show up and to be faithful to the duty and believe that God, through his spirit, is present and at work in giving growth and how freeing that is. I trust that God gives the growth. And so what do I do? I just show up. I'm a servant. That's freeing to you. It's freeing to be a servant. And uh, if you're a home group leader, right, and you think, man, I've got to make this home group, this home group is supposed to be like a family to one another. They're supposed to serve and love one another. It's a big task, and people are supposed to grow in their faith and be discipled. How am I going to do that? God's got to do it. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be prayerful because it's God who gives the growth. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that um, being a servant of Christ is not burdensome, right? Jesus says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. First John says the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. You don't want to know what's burdensome? Trying to be somebody. It's trying to be somebody. It's when you, when it's, when it's, Nate wants this to be about Nate, or you, we want it to be about us. That is incredibly, crushingly burdensome. But being a servant, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, is joy. And what happens is when we say, listen, I just did my duty, and the Lord's doing, doing the work, it's His Spirit doing things that I couldn't have even imagined, look at how honoring that is to Him. He gets the glory. He gets the recognition. And so servants honor their masters. And they say, it's about Him, it's not about me. Okay? So that's three things we've seen. Uh, that uh, servants, are uh, they take responsibility for a task. They uh, keep the gospel central. And because the gospel is central, it means the honor is to the Lord, and they depend on the Lord to actually do the work and, and uh, give the increase. But interestingly, there's, there's a tension in this passage. Because on the one hand, Paul is saying it's the Lord who's giving the growth. It's the Lord, you know, as he looks through all these churches that are planted, he's writing scripture, it's the Lord, it's God's grace working through me. He also says that servants are ultimately laborers. Okay, I know it's not an exciting point. <laughs> servants are laborers. Okay, I, I know this. Being in the Lord's service, it's about labor. You see that in verse, uh, verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And uh, actually, I, Michael Papera, who's uh, my home group leader, uh, was talking to me about this passage, and, and he was just encouraging me that uh, Paul says that each will receive his wages not according to his fruit, not according to the success of his ministry or the success of his service, he will receive his reward because of his labor, the work that he's going to do. God knows the labor that we're putting in because it's going to look different. You know, the fruit and success is going to look different for other people. You know, I read a biography uh, uh, probably 10 years ago about a guy named John Payton who was a Scottish uh, missionary to these cannibals in the, uh, the New Hebrides, little island. And, uh, and he goes there for 10 years and... He doesn't have one convert. And they threaten to kill him over and over again and steal all his stuff. And he's just loving them and serving them, giving them medicine and preaching the gospel. And he has nothing. And then he leaves and he goes to some other island. And then these other missionaries come in and almost instantly it's just like the whole island converts. And he's like, Wah. If he's rewarded, and actually what was he doing? He was laying the ground for those next missionaries to come in. He was preparing the ground. Because it's always death and resurrection in the gospel and the way God works. And so you could, be, you could be on the death side of that. <laughs> and yet that, God will reward that. And he was on the death side of that. 
And so our focus is, I'm going to labor, I'm going to serve, I'm going to give my energy and my strength and my gifts to the Lord and serve him and see what he does. And you might say, you know, some of you might know in John 15, Jesus says that I, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You might say, should I really view Jesus as giving me tasks and labor to do like a servant? Doesn't he say I'm his friend, only buddies that are hanging out? And yes, you are uh, Jesus' friend. He cares about you. He lets you in on what he's doing. But all of the apostles called themselves servants of Christ. That's how they talked about themselves. I'm doing the work that he's given to me. And Paul often uses that language. In the end of 1 Corinthians, this is what he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, so he's talking all about God's grace. It's all about what God's grace, what God's power is doing. Uh, God's power is doing. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So even though he acknowledges that it's God's grace that's working, it looks when God's grace is at work in our life, it looks like labor for God's kingdom. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Um, and you may feel that some of the, Lord, the work that the Lord assigns to actually he will. At least some of the work that he assigns to each one of us will be menial. He wants to teach us to be servants. That's what Jesus did. He, became, he made himself low. He made himself into a servant. And there should be nothing that is too menial for us. And actually, I put a quote from you uh, from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you turn to page three in your bulletin, and this, was a, this is a book that Bonhoeffer w- wrote in 1939. He, he was a German pastor. And right as uh, the Nazis were in power, World War II is about to start, and he's looking at his country. He's like, our country is in crisis. The church needs to be a counterculture in Germany in 1939. How are we going to be a countercultural? How are we going to be a community of love in the, in the midst of tyranny and, and fear and violence, how are we going to be a community of love? And he wrote this book called Life Together. And this is one of the things he says in Life Together. Um, the second service that one should perform for another in a Christian community is that of active helpfulness. So menial, right? Helpfulness. How, you know, not glorious. I'm going to be helpful. This means, initially, simple assistance in trifling external matters. There is a multitude of things wherever people live together. Nobody is too good for the meanest service. One who worries about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness entail is usually taking the importance of his own career too solemnly. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Menial labor is a part of serving the Lord, and actually, he glories in that. He delights in that, because it's about humbling ourselves. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we savor those tasks that he sets before us, and we thank him for them, and we we do them uh, uh, cheerfully, even the mundane, the earthly, the trifling. And, uh, And of course, when you do that, it is a tremendous blessing to the people around you. Small task, a way of serving people that are just sprinkled. And you know what? I know tons of you, I, and probably all of you, in various ways, are doing that in this church and doing that in this community. I just I thank you. 
it, it shapes the whole atmosphere and life and, and vibrancy of a community when we are just helpful, servant-hearted, eager to, eager to help wherever we can. Okay? So God works through servants. Now, let me just make a couple of caveats. Because um, there are probably two kinds of people that are in the room listening to this. First, there are uh, those who are servants, gladly serve, uh, are always uh, feeling a tug to do, whenever they hear something needs to be done, I better do it. I better do it. I'm on it. Uh, And they always seem to be doing more. So uh, what do you take from a sermon like this? I'm not going to tell you to set boundaries. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's usually what I would say. And it, boundaries are good. But actually, the thing that to take from this, this, uh, um, from this sermon is that what you're doing, your service, is deeply meaningful. That's what a life of following Jesus is, is a life of service. And he is with you in it. You should be encouraged in what you're doing. Take heart. Uh, you know, Paul Miller wrote a, a little book called uh, A Praying Life. And... In that book, he talks about how anyone who is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is going to have a busy life. You are going to be, have people intruding on your margins all of the time. And of course, through prayer, what he's going to say, you can actually find peace and rest in the midst of that. But that's a part of, of following Jesus. And, you, and, and we must turn to him for rest. But let me encourage you, if you feel like my life is about serving others, I got little you know, kids I'm serving, or I'm serving in some place uh, in the church. I go to work where I'm serving other people. Maybe I'm underneath you know, certain managers who are telling me to do stuff all the time. You have a life of service. That is a life that is honoring to the Lord. That is a good life. And it is through him that you'll find joy in it. Okay? So let me encourage you in it, that your life is charged with meaning. But for others of you, who, uh, your life is not about service. It is about serving yourself, maybe. And which could be for many reasons. It could be fear. It could be laziness. It could be selfishness. Or maybe it could just be ignorance. You didn't know that you were supposed to have a life of serving others, that that's what the good life is, and you're learning about it for the first time. Um, Let me just invite you. What do I say to you? The answer is simply repentance. Repent. What do we do in the Christian life when we find that there's there's sin, there's selfishness, there's laziness? I'm devoted to myself. All I do is think about myself is I repent. What freedom. You tell the Lord... Lord, I see that my heart is, uh, is full of, of selfishness. I serve myself. I don't serve others. I, my heart is full of fear, and that's why I don't serve others. Wash me, and I'm going to trust in your promises that you're going to provide the grace that Paul was talking about that, that, that gave him grace to serve other people. I'm going to trust in that, and I'm going to go out into the world resting in that, in that grace instead of serving myself. I repent. And you know what? That's our whole life is repentance. You're going to be repenting. It's not just something you do once. It's going to be something you're going to do next. You're going to, we're going to do next week when we're here on Sunday. It's just repent and believe. Repent and believe. That is the Christian walk. That's the Christian life. And let me just tell you that when you do that, when our life is devoted to service, this is what you're going to find out, and this is the last thing about servanthood, is that servants of Christ always serve in community. The good news is you get to serve in community. And look at how Paul talks. In verse 8, he who plants... And he who waters are what? Are one. 
They're one together. Actually, he's going to come back to that you know, later in 1 Corinthians. He's going to, in chapter 12, he's going to say, the church, the community, you know what you are? You're this body. Some people are an ear, some people are a foot, and you all have these different functions, and you're working together, but you are one body. You're united. And when you're serving the Lord, you are going to find fellowship, uh, fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. And I'll just tell you, in any church, the people who find the community are the people who are devoted to service. It's people who are devoted to say, you know, I'm going to get involved in a home group. And I'm going to serve the people in that home group. I'm going to love them. I'm going there. I'm going to that home group uh, uh, because there's people there that need, they need friendships. They need people to care for them. I'm going to find out how to care for them. And you know what you find out when you do that? You find a tremendous amount of community. You find friendships. And um, always when you're involved in ministry, you find that there's people doing it alongside of you because Jesus does not want you serving by himself. Serving by yourself, because serving by yourself will wear you out. But when there's people with you, you can endure all kinds of things that he puts uh, in your path. But even more profoundly than finding community with one another when we serve, is what's amazing is that we ultimately find community with God when we serve him. Look at verse 9, these great words. For we are God's fellow workers. You know, it's like God is this dad who's working at his shop and he's bringing the kid in. He's like, hand me the, you know, hand me the drill or whatever. And the kid's like, yeah, you know, just, and it's like, I get to be with my dad, dude, working in the shop. That's, that's what service is. You get to be with your dad in the shop do, doing service alongside him. He's teaching you, he's guiding you, he's instructing you, and he's helping you along so that you can do it well and you can make something beautiful. In service, you are with the Lord. And this is what Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he's not saying, if you're a good person, then I'm going to love you more. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, if you keep my commandments, if you're in my service, you're going to see prayers answered all the time. I mean, the people who say God answers every prayer are the people who are serving others and devoted to others, and they're praying for people all the time. And they're like, God, he basically answers all prayers. There's a few that still need to be answered. I'm just waiting for them. Those are the people that are in his service. And... Uh, if you want to see God's power supernaturally, you want to see that he's alive, it is in service that you see that, okay? And so for some of us, these words, labor, work, servant, tasks, duties, responsibility, we're like, oh, get me away from that. But let me just tell you, in all of these things, you will abide in Jesus' love as you do them, okay? Hear these words from the Lord Jesus as I conclude. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to serve you, and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you know each one of us that we are all a mixture of these two, that we are both uh, serving you in ways, and in other ways we are lazy, uh, irresponsible, selfish. Lord, we turn uh, from that and we confess to you our selfishness. That you would give us that grace that we might work heartily as Paul calls us to. And Lord, would we make us into a family, a church, a congregation, a community where we delight to serve one another, to, to be helpful to one another, to be engaged wherever we can. And I pray especially for those of you here who say, I don't know what my task is. I don't know where the Lord wants, what the Lord wants me to take responsibility for. I pray that you'd guide them, that you'd give them conversations with the other people here, and that you'd help us as a church uh, to equip um, every, all of us to do the work that you've called us to. 
And we thank you that we get to be your fellow workers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.